Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Rhonda Sullivan. Rhonda is a registered nurse with 26 years experience. 19 years of this have been dedicated to the wound and ostomy specialties. She is a board certified nurse executive, wound ostomy nurse, and legal nurse. She is currently employed as a quality and safety clinical specialist with industry, where she serves as a clinical support to healthcare facilities seeking to improve patient outcomes. She is a published author, researcher, medical legal expert, and international speaker on pressure ulcer prevention and deep tissue prevention. A big thank you to Stryker for providing an unrestricted educational grant to offer a number of travel scholarships to WOC Next 2019 that supported first-time abstract presenters with a focus on preventative practice for wounds. Stryker also supported the top-scoring first-time poster presenter within this same category. Rhonda's high-scoring abstract was also selected for oral presentation at the general session, as well as this first-time presenter award. Her work was part of a DNP project on modification of Norton scale in critical care, and that's what we'll be chatting about today. Thanks for joining me, Rhonda. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about sharing the details of this work. Yeah, so I'm excited to hear more about it. I was at your lecture in Nashville and really enjoyed hearing about it. So I'm excited to delve a little farther into what you've done, and I'm sure our audience will be too. So first of all, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your woundostomy continence nursing-related work experience and what you're doing currently, and just a little bit about yourself so our audience knows what kind of skills and experience you bring to this project. I have been a WOC nurse for 19 years, and I've been certified for 15 of those years. And funny enough, my wound care career started in an LTAC, a long-term acute care facility that was focused on treating complex wounds, but their advertisement was wound care will train. So I took the challenge 19 years ago. And then I later moved into acute care where I had the pleasure of starting both wound and ostomy programs in various settings, starting at a sister facility and then moving from there. I currently work as a quality and safety clinical specialist and a clinical trainee. And so how did this particular project come about? This project was completed in fulfillment of my Doctor of Nursing degree program. And so that was done at University of Alabama in Huntsville. And when I started looking at topics for the project, it was so important that I was able to find a solution to a real problem because a lot of times with DMP projects, it's like, get it done. But I wanted to fix something that I felt was broken in our practice. And because pressure injury prevention is something that I'm passionate about, it was kind of a given that that would be where I would start. And that would be something that would actually positively impact an area of our practice. And that was important. So the project started with a series of literature reviews because I wanted to see what the challenges with Braden were and then what tools were available that had historical use in the critical care setting and whether 
any of those shoes offered promise as an alternative. And I was just surprised to find there were 26 tools that have historical use. And so then it was really looking at validity and reliability data. I abstracted from the data for all of those 26 tools, what was published as far as how valid and reliable they were. And then the means were used to choose a tool. And that's how the Norton scale came about because it had high sensitivity and acceptable specificity compared to the other tools. And then I had this theory that if I optimized it with some critical care specific risk factors that maybe it would increase its specificity to the critical care setting, which was how the tool kind of evolved. And then five versions of that optimized tool were presented to our peer review and they selected the test tool, which was tested among 111 critical care nurses and three certified wound care nurses in a simulated patient environment. And that was done at University of Alabama in Birmingham. So you looked at the Norton scale and then selected based on the literature different critical care conditions. So you like maybe pressor use or sepsis maybe, and then looked at which one of those would have more validity and reliability specific to the Norton scale. Am I understanding you right? Yes. Yeah, so the keywords that I used were critical care specific pressure injury risk, which I know is a lot of words. And then I pulled that data. And so what I pulled out were critical care specific. So I was looking for statistical significance in the published data. And so that's where all of that criteria that was in the physical condition section came from. They were all statistically significant, either general pressure injury risk for fair and critical care specific pressure injury risk for poor under physical conditions. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. So how did you recruit nurses to participate in this project? Well, I have to really give all credit to my mentors. So my program was set up where you have your project chair, but you also have to have a mentor at your study site. And so my mentor really supported me in recruiting the nurses and helping me navigate their IRB system because I didn't work for the facility. So she really supported me through that process. And so a lot of that work was done with me providing her the information and her providing the invites and so forth to her nurses. And then this simulation experience, you must have used the same patient situation for all 111 nurses, I'm assuming. What type of patient simulation did you have exactly? What I did was I used the details of an actual patient who went on to develop a pressure injury. So this was a patient who had liver disease and went on to have a multitude of comorbid conditions and complications that developed a pressure injury. So the details were of an actual patient. And then Indiana University let me use their introduction to the critical care video where I pulled out the stills and voiceovered the patient details. So it was the actual patient details were kind of voiced over this video, the video stills that they allowed me to use. That sounds like that was quite a project to get that all organized. It was more of a project to get my husband, who did the voiceover, 
to say bradycardia and tachycardia, but it's what he does in his job. So he's used to doing that. It's just the medical words were hilarious. But we got it done. I think it was really great because it really mimicked the actual patient, even though the stills really had nothing to do with the actual patient. So he must have been having fun with bradycardia and some of those other words, right? <laughs> I think I was having more fun listening to him, but <laughs> he was a pro by the end. Yeah, I bet. I bet. He probably never wants to hear those words again after all that, right? Well, he actually still jokes about them. So, <laughs> Well, that's a good sign, right? Yes. So how long did this whole project take to finish? It took over two years, and that was really based on the duration of my program, but I will say the initial idea was actually developed while working with UAB as a consultant. So through my company, I was working with them and we had this idea that we should find a valid critical care tool. So that started the process, but the formal process of the project was over two years. And would you talk a little bit about the Norton scale in case maybe some of our listeners are not as familiar with that one as maybe some of the other scales out there? Yes. The Norton scale was the first pressure injury risk assessment tool. It was developed in the 1960s. There are five subscales and the scores are added together just like they are in Braden. And it gives you a range from five to 20. With the Norton, a lower score indicates a higher risk, just like Braden. And generally, a score of 14 or less indicates at risk, and a score of 10 or less is very high risk. And is that done daily or twice daily, like we would do a Braden or another scoring in acute care, for example? Yes, because it would mimic whatever practice is implemented in that facility. So if they currently do Braden twice a day, the Norton, if it replaced Braden, would be twice a day because it is just a pressure injury risk assessment tool. So it would follow whatever that practice is. And of course, it has to align with MPUAP and their recommendations as well. Did you ever consider switching your new optimized tool from high score to high risk or not? We actually did discuss that during the project. And two of the five versions that were sent to the peer review group did have a high score, high risk. But the group really felt like if we kept that low score, high risk scale, that it would be more familiar to the facility because they currently use Braden and it wouldn't be as confusing. So that was why. So they picked the actual version that was tested, but two of those five versions that were sent to peer review did have a high score, high risk option. And then I was noticing when you were doing your talk in Nashville, there were criteria under that physical condition section. And so then you scored the patient either a two or a four, depending on what that score was. So can you explain a little bit about that? Because that seemed to me like where you really honed in on the patient that's critically ill and the problems. That section really evolved from those statistically significant risk factors that were identified in the literature. And one of the things that we focused on when we were working on optimization was how can we make it valid, but not so complex that we end up with the same challenges that we have with Braden. 
And so we really worked to refine that area. And so that's why the scale, we wanted to keep the subscale range the same, but make it less complex. That's why it really only has those three categories. So can you talk a little bit about the two categories under that physical condition where one is fair and one is poor? And then how do you decide which the patient gets? Like, do they have to have a certain number of those conditions or how do you decide where to score the patient? Say if they have one issue in each of those subscales. The way it was structured and the way it was presented to the participants was they literally received no instruction on how to score. It was, here's a new tool, score it. And we thought that was important so that we could see, was it truly usable without much instruction? And we know sometimes that's the challenge we have with Braden is we don't always get instruction, but we're expected to do it. So when we looked at the physical condition, it really is structured that if they had one condition in the poor, that's what you go with. If they didn't have any in poor, but one condition in fair, that would be the score you would use for that subscale. So it was implied if they had one in poor, they go there first, that would be your score. If they had one in fair and none in poor, then you go to the next one. Oh, that makes sense then. So would you just elaborate a little bit about the different criteria you put in those two sections, just in case, like, I was lucky enough to see what you did at that lecture, but could you just talk a little bit about the different critical care specific things you had in each of those, just to give our audience an idea of some of the clinical conditions you found that had statistical significance? Yeah, so some of these are, well, I'll say most of these are quite familiar to a previous critical care nurse. They were familiar to me as well. And I think that's why the critical care nurses did better with scoring this subscale than the wound care nurses. It's just because it's familiar to them. But nevertheless, some of the things that are in there are hemodynamic instability. And even though that's not explained, I think critical care nurses know what that means if they're caring for a patient who's hemodynamically unstable. Mean arterial pressure less than 60 diastolic blood pressure less than 50 or systolic less than 90, use of greater than one vasopressor. It looks at body temperature, CVVH or venal venous hemodialysis, and SATs or oxygen saturations less than 90%, hemoglobin less than 7.7, and PF ratio less than 20. So it's looking at oxygenation and perfusion, which were identified in the literature as those overarching themes for statistically significant pressure injury risk. And those you don't really see in the Braden. I spend time in our critical care areas, and when you look at the patient's Braden, and their actual condition sometimes, it doesn't always match up. And I think that might be some of the reason because we don't really address a lot of those in the Braden in critical care. Right. We really don't look at oxygenation or perfusion at all in Braden. We look at sensory perception, but that's something different than oxygenation or perfusion. Yeah. It's interesting because Braden Q looks at that, but Braden does not. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. So you did all this work for your DMP project. So what has happened with this since that time? Anything that we should know about? 
Well, so what I've been working on is really developing a protocol that can be presented to IRBs because this project was done as a component of my DMP that IRB expired to do that project. And I work in industry, so I have to partner with facilities who would be willing to test the tool. So I've been working on that protocol with the goal of having a package that they can present to the IRB should they want to test the optimized Norton scale or some version of it. And I've worked with several clinicians who were at WLCM and even some that were listening virtually that are looking to test the tools. So we're kind of in the inception of that process as well. That's exciting after all this work to see maybe people starting to actually use it in clinical practice. It is. I mean, it's definitely an option. It has a long way to go because the long-term goal would be that it would be validated and it would be an option that facilities could actually use. For me, it's so important that it doesn't have to be the tool that I presented at WCN. Maybe you see something that you can do to make it better, but we do need something. And I think this is just a beginning step. But an important step. Yes, absolutely. So now you won an award as a first-time presenter for this work at WOCN, and you also had a poster and presented this work orally. So that's a huge accomplishment for you. So congratulations. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you enjoy the conference? I did. You know, funny story about me is as long as I've been at WOCN, I've never gone to nationals. I always attend my regional conference. And so this was the first time I've ever gone to the national conference in, what, 19 years. So that was why it was so much fun, just the topics and the variety and just the diversity of people and settings. It was really, really amazing. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So tell me what you remember about the submission process, because I think since you were so successful with this at the WOCN, you probably have some things to add to a listener that maybe is has done some work on a project and is thinking about submitting a poster or something like that. So what do you remember about that? That's now last fall, I know, but fill us in on what you could tell a listener about that. Well, first, I would say absolutely do it. One of the things that I see quite often because I work with facilities throughout the U.S., I see phenomenal work. And people are somewhat hesitant to publish or do a poster or present at conference. But we need to know what you're doing because I can guarantee you somebody's struggling with the exact same thing. With that said, what I will say about the WOCN society process was it was phenomenal. It's easy. It kind of leads you through the steps of the process. There are tools to kind of prepare you before you even submit your abstract. So I found that process extremely easy and I've done posters with other conferences. So all things considered, it's extraordinarily more easy than some of the other ones that I've used. Oh, that's good. Are you going to take this poster to say a critical care conference or are you looking to present that maybe at NTI or something else or what are you doing about that? So I've submitted the manuscript to JWOCN, and I am just waiting to hear back on whether it's been accepted and what revisions, if it's accepted, need to be made. So that's the next step for me. Hopefully, it can be published. 
then you'll get more people wanting to try the tool maybe once it's more disseminated widely. More than anything, I'm really excited about the opportunity to to work with those and see their vision for it and see where it goes. Yeah, that's great. So then once your abstract was successfully accepted, then you developed a poster, correct? Yes. And did you have to do that for your DNP project as well? Or was that something you just did for WOCN? Well, it's something I just did for WOCN, but I've done posters before. And I use a general template. PowerPoint has one, but I use one that I kind of created that I use for everything or anytime I do a poster. And then I think the most important thing is really thinking about the attendees and where they're going to read it from. So font size and cleanliness. But the other thing that I liked about the WOCN process was that, and it was different than other posters that I've done, is there was this cue to use more images than words, which was really great because it allowed me to kind of show the process without having paragraphs of words. And I think that really helped for people to be able to read it and kind of understand the process and then the outcomes relatively quickly, but still grasp the content. I liked being able to see what you did with the tool too, because it's great to read it, but then to really see all those different criteria, particularly, I keep going back to that physical condition area because I'm a clinician. So that was really of interest to me. So being able to see that too, I think really helps somebody to understand that when maybe you're less familiar with it than something else. Absolutely. But that was the WLC and society's process, which helped me because I normally would probably have my dissertation on the <laughs> on the poster, but there was a cue in the training before to use more images. I'm oh, good. Good. And so then you did a poster and then you also had the opportunity to present that orally. And so tell us about that a little bit. That was fun. It is really hard to present two years worth of work in a short period of time. So I felt like I left some things out, but I did have time afterwards to kind of answer questions, which was great because as somebody who presents all the time, I'm always concerned about the attendees and whether they got what they needed. So that was the one challenge, but the presentation itself was actually what I used for my first defense and second defense for school with some modifications once the project was done. So that was where it came from. So then you didn't have to start everything from scratch. You sort of took some of this information from other things that you had done with it and then put it all together for this presentation, it sounds like. Right, exactly. And that was much easier too, I think. Yeah, it sounds like it would be quicker than uh, having to start over and putting everything together. But I would say, even if you had to start from scratch, it would be relatively easy to pull together the highlights of your project. And I think having that short presentation forced me to kind of focus on those things that were most important. Mm -hmm. What about that presentation? Anything we should be talking about here that you didn't have time to discuss? I do remember you had a lot of questions at the session, but anything else relative to that project that this would be a good opportunity to talk about a little bit more? The only thing that I didn't get to go into detail with that I think is important because I get this question a lot is why didn't I modify Brayden? 
And there were a couple of reasons. And I think it was because once I did the literature search, I had this overarching theme that optimization would be challenging because of the complexity of Braden. But it's funny that when the Norton scale showed up as the most sensitive scale among the other scales, I was actually rather disappointed because I wanted to do something like Coven Jackson or Jackson Coven because I thought that was a really good tool, but it didn't perform well based on the validity and reliability data. And again, I think it has the same problem as Braden. It is quite complex, even though it's critical care specific. So that was how I ended up at Norton, but I do get that a lot. Why didn't you just modify Braden? But Norton was very easy to optimize because it's a very simple scale. So you really just needed to add what was missing. I see. So now if an organization wants to use the Braden scale, you get permission to do that as an organization. Did you have to get permission from somebody with the Norton scale to use that and then modify it? I did. So for the Braden as well. So to use the Braden, I went to BradenScale.org, I think it is, and requested permission. For the Norton scale, I actually had to go to the author of the very first publication on the Norton scale because all of the authors are deceased. So that was how I got permission to modify the tool. And then, of course, with the video stills, I got permission from Indiana University to use and modify the video. Oh, okay. Okay. So that must have been a project tracking down a living author to get permission. It was scary for a minute there because I didn't really know where to go once I realized, oh, my goodness, everybody's deceased. And so my chair suggested that maybe that might be an option to kind of contact the publisher. And so that was where I went next. And they gave me permission. What else haven't I asked you about your project that you think is important that we share with our audience? I think a lot of acute care WOC nurses are going to be really interested in this information that you've shared with us today. So I want to make sure that we cover everything that you think is important for us to know about this. I don't know that it's necessarily a question that you should ask me, but what I will say is after that session, I did find out that there are a number of facilities, clinicians working on modifying, optimizing, creating a tool for critical care. So I think what I would say about that is somehow we all need to get together and maybe there's strength in numbers and that we can create something maybe even as a multi-site test where we can pull all of these tools together, develop something that's usable and then test it for validity and reliability. So that's what I would say is I there were just after the session, there were probably 10 people who came up to me. And we're just sharing that they were working on the same thing. Wow. So it would be nice to get a group together and combine resources and efforts. And you'd get a lot of really good data from that, I bet. I think so. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today, Rhonda, to chat with us. And I look forward to seeing more of your work in this area because it's certainly a highly needed area of practice for us in critical care. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, providing this opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. 
You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.